Hello, hi, good morning, good evening. Welcome to the Edge Entertainment Roundtable, a post-discussion for all things entertainment. I'm your host today as Digital Culture Editor for the Edge, Harry, that is my name. Today we're talking about Marvel's latest product, WandaVision, an ostensibly mind-bending, sitcom parodying, cameo-teasing, and maybe a little bit messy series on Disney+, Plus, which marks the studio's first detour into TV rather than film. Joining me today is our film editor and my podcast partner in crime, Theo Smith. Hello. Hello there, it's good to be joining back, our partner in crime. <laughs> writer for the Edge, Callum Nelms, hi. Aloha, everybody. And writer, Louise Chase, hello. Ahoy. Ahoy. Wicked, right. Well, thanks for being here, everyone, first of all. Um, I should probably start by saying that we're going to go right into spoilers. So if you haven't seen WandaVision yet, you still want to see it, haven't seen the last episode, then leave. Um, I think it's silly oh, to tiptoe around the show. Um, and then come back. And then Please. come, yeah, <laughs> or don't. Yeah. It's you know, really do what you just, want. Just to stop. Just stop. Just if you're not even like watch one division, just don't even bother listening to this. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't. Um, but yeah, we're gonna go right into spoilers. Uh, stupid to tiptoe around it, considering it's all finished. Um, so I guess let's start with by sort of going round and getting so your very vague kind of overarching thoughts. If we start with uh, Theo, what did you think of one division? Well, where do we begin with uh, the nine-episode WandaVision? Um, I think, well, per- personally, I thought from start to finish, I thought it was actually quite a really solid show. I- I'm somebody who actually quite liked it a lot, actually. Um, I don't think it's sort of, like, you know, the best TV show, like, of 2021. I don't think it's, like, sort of has the big accolades it is. But in terms of, like, a TV show, like, on its own, in terms of a show that stands on its own, I think it's one of the really key points to make about One Division straight away, in my opinion. It's a, it's a show that stands on its own with a beginning, a middle, and a solid end, you know. It's the, and it's and with it, I mean, it's a couple of experimental moments in between. But overall, very, very solid, very clear. And, um, yeah, that's pretty, that's pretty much it. So, yeah, that I, I really, really liked it in that way. Hey, great. Uh, Callum? Uh, it's it's a solid series. Um, there's a lot of really interesting and great ideas in it, particularly revolving around the key characters of Wanda and Vision. Um, who you are so. You would hope so. Who are semi-interesting characters in the films we've seen before. Um, however, I found that over the course of the series, the quality of the episodes actually declined. Um, obviously, we'll get more into that later. But uh, overall, it's a, it's an okay series. It just has uh, a few key issues here and there. Right, Louise. Yeah, I sort of got that vibe too. Of like the very first couple of episodes were great, amazing, and they were enticing. And you know, you could see just at the internet exploded within hours of the episodes going live, uh, which was Maybe fun. Maybe understatement. Up to spoilers. Pretty much, um, which is fun waking up to spoilers every day, but that's the risk you take. Um, but as, as they slowly started adding stuff on and you could see going through time periods and then introducing stuff with S.W.O.R.D. and um, everything outside and then bringing Darcy back. Um, I don't know. Like, I thoroughly enjoyed this, but even I feel that there were some points where I felt like it stretched it too far. Mm. I'm sort of more in the camp of, um, of yeah, of Callum and Louise. Um, I, I, di- I didn't really enjoy a lot of it. 
we back in um i think it was january we recorded a podcast about soul and we touched on the first few episodes of wandavision on there at sort of the end of the episode um and a lot of the criticisms that i levied at it at that point remained true uh, and then some and i, I think it kept mm. writing its its own issues i think it suffers from a real sort of identity crisis um not only with form uh and style but also with narrative um and i just got I got less and less invested. I mean, I think it's I think it's okay. Um, I don't I don't know that it's aggressively bad, but it's Marvel's first like test uh, of TV of a film. Um, I'm not very excited to see what else they're going to be doing with it. You know what I mean? Um, it was a it was a it was a strange watch for me, to be honest. We had to wait until two weeks until Falcon Winter Soldier. You know, the fact that they're churning yeah. out these TV shows on yeah. quite a fast basis is it's showing there's sort of a bit of a the ruthlessness in terms of marketing, but I think I, I think the key thing that I thought one I think one of the things I actually did like about One Division a lot, and I think it's one thing that I was glad it wasn't, and I, I and especially when the finale finished, a lot of people really didn't like this whole thing about it. Um, was was the fact that I think it it didn't try to kind of connect itself or try and sort of to the wider MCU or try and set things up because I tell you what, imagine this, imagine if a nine episode series just literally was basically a a setup for Doctor Strange 2. That would be absolutely rubbish. I mean, that would be, I mean, that'd be quite crap. Like, I would probably be a bit disappointed if the show ended with, you know, the multiverse opening up and suddenly, you know, Scarlet Witch returns in Doctor Strange 2. Like, I was glad actually it had it had a proper narrative and the narrative had a beginning, middle and end in a way. It didn't try to sort of like, you know, try and connect itself to certain elements or try and bring things into the franchise or set things. It did, it, it did, it did definitely kind of set things up going forward, but it wasn't like, you know, literally just a show about setup. It was a show that had its own story in my mind. I've got to say, I think I really disagree. Um, same, I think same. That's one, yeah, I, I, think, I think that's one of the biggest See, problems. See, I agree really, with Theo. <laughs> It kind of, um, well, I, I think that it spends so much time uh, giving us things that could mean something later on. I just think it gets so bogged down in world, but I think there are a few issues, right? It gets really bogged down in world building. So you have all of these, also the, the cameo is a good example. All of the sword stuff, the stuff with Monica and her getting superpowers eventually. Um, all of these sort of little threads that sort of link into the wide, wider world um, that it keeps sort of chasing. And it, and it wraps the show sort of, wraps itself up like the final episode sort of wraps up like it's been this nice sort of consistent uh kind of uh you know it's like its own thing like self-contained product when in actual fact I, I just i think it gets so concerned with having things that link to other things um it, it shows its hand in episode four and there's no mystery so then they have to keep adding sort of other little artificial things like like Pietro and Agnes, which really went nowhere and and who's revealed is completely <laughs> okay. <I> think. <laughs> See, I was gonna disagree with you and then you said about um episode four. I completely agree with you on that point. Like I think they pulled back the curtain on the reveal that, you know, what Wanda is doing this to herself in whatever form and she's the one controlling Westview for better or worse and you know, all these um, theories about the Watcher and stuff um, aren't true. Could have done that a little bit later down the line, I feel. Agreed. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, as I don't a result know of that, I mean, though, I mean, it, kind of, it abandons its premise as well, which I found really definitely. jarring. So you have every episode mm. that it cuts between these aspect ratios, completely different tones. So you have a series that starts as this really endearing sort of sitcom parody. And then when you're sort of halfway through, they're kind of half milking this 
you know, office-esque style, and it keeps cutting to this sort of, you know, the, the I mean, let's be honest, kind of the worst face of Marvel, you know, that, that sort of cheesy military esque kind of you know like the civil war kind of thing that that really annoyed that mm. tone that's just got so old in their things now um that it, it made it hard to feel like each episode was kind of an investment and the ones i enjoyed most were sort of episodes one and two um and like episodes seven and eight because they were the ones that were most tonally consistent and the yeah, ones that yeah. Like episode seven was the best thing. no um i was just gonna say so obviously i completely agree episode four just completely reveals the hand way too early because oh, uh, that I central hook is what intrigues a lot of people and i know a lot of friends of mine who you know casual interest in marvel who saw the premise and thought this could be interesting uh, and it's a big worry i have for the upcoming marvel shows we have like falcon and the winter soldier that kind of military kind of vibe i'm getting from all the trailers that very you know standard homogenous kind of marvel style you know uh, yeah, and i do completely agree that it loses that identity as it goes on and my in- my enjoyment of the series declined uh yeah i think for me like i mean we could i mean we could briefly talk about those first three episodes because the first three episodes are pretty much you know the sitcom-esque and stuff it and like, I, think we talk- I think they are terrific but i think one of the things I I found sort of I do don't I really enjoy those first three episodes because I would thought you know this is interesting it's I think it's probably for me Marvel at we're talking Marvel the MCU here we're not talking like other like things like the Truman Show and stuff like Watchmen which is which definitely plays it definitely a lot of stuff kind of plays into that but for me if we're talking about the MCU I think that's probably Marvel at its most inventive I could say because it's 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 generally and this is what this is one of the things I said about um, when we talked about uh, WandaVision in the Soul podcast, they had they had to change up the superhero genre. You can't just keep doing a Falcon and the Winter Soldier or Civil War. We've already seen that before. You know, you have you, and for them to be staying ahead of the game, they have to keep they have to kind of reinvent, you know, the, and play with different genres. And I think actually the sitcom genre was really clever, was a really clever way of doing that, especially the fact they the first episode kind of shot in for a live studio audience. There was definitely that great bit in episode one where they kind of sit at the dinner table and suddenly she and suddenly Wanda says she says like pick up the tape. Well, I thought, no, I thought the line she says, but you know it's, it's huh? Yeah, help your helping vision, yeah. Yeah, and, we're just and, it, and it brings and it brings up a really great kind of intrigue to it, but it also kind of brings something so i definitely find that enjoyable but one of the questions i would ask though in terms of that is that although those first episodes are brilliant i don't know if i would have wanted another two more episodes of that structure because i think then because i personally i probably would could have got a bit more impatient and be like okay i actually now really want to know stuff now here because otherwise it's just going to be a little more tease another more tease and then it would just you know it doesn't it's not going to do anything with it it would just be sort of parodying sitcoms so that's you can the, do that without kind of just sort of betraying sort of the central hook of the show though and i think that mm. you you have to reinvent the wheel absolutely with this and i i'm so on the on that boat and on the uh yeah. definitely agree with the idea that the marvel thing is is boring now but they don't commit to the bit and they don't trust their audience to understand um you know the, the cr- exactly. i said this in the soul podcast but the credits are all in even in even in the most sitcommy episodes the credits are all in a different style sort of everything uh, apart from the moment-to-moment thing in the show is asserting that don't worry this is still like normal marvel um and i just for a a premise that's i I agree a really inventive premise and i really like it i just i just think they could have um gone for it a bit more and trust their audience and and done something that was actually really interesting and creative rather than something 
that just sort of like falls apart so quickly. The illusion is broken way too fast. Yeah, and they even added in end credit scenes, which I hate that. Is part the TV. is part of the course of Marvel. It makes it Most feel less time, like a TV it, show, more like films. more like film. Yeah, I, I would. I, I think I read something about the fact. I think one of the things that Marvel did when it when I think and I think Mandalorian had this as well is that when they signed doing like the contracts for Division, I think they signed movie contracts with the cast and crew. So what that means then is that if if it's like a movie, if if you sign like a movie contract, then this, but this is stuff that I've read online. This is I don't know if it's all real, but I think so, when you but sign a movie contract, true, you. you yeah, when you sign a movie contract, you have to make sure that you credit every single person on the production. Because in TV, you you can kind of get away with not crediting everyone on the, on the production in a way because like because through that, so that's why at the end of one of this is about like a ten minute credit. So they have to literally say like this is everybody who's been on it, which I respect and which I do. Yeah, but, but I think we'll be right, isn't it? But also, I think that shows the budget as well, because the fact that they, they put about, you know, which we've already said, you know, $200 million in this show, which for the first three episodes, we were wondering, you know, where this where's this money yeah. gone? And then mm. we were, maybe we'll talk about later on. We do know where that find out where that money is, where that money's gone, especially in episode four. I think a lot of money is in there as well. So, you know, I think that's probably why we got like sort of 10 minute credits, which I didn't like. I didn't like the fact we had about 20 minute episodes when like this is like some sort of big you know big budget show surely we should have about you know half an hour 40 minutes episodes here they could definitely have sort of lengthened that even more you know that so i don't know why they went for like 20 minutes yeah like, it's funny because i i'd always like sit down to watch it and you know go into the episode and hit play it and it would say like you know 41 minutes or something I'd go, oh great and then it's, it's only like 29 or something with all the credits and um i want to pivot the conversation quickly Mm-hmm. Um, to because Cat Callum said something that was really great in an angle that I hadn't considered when we were talking about it the other day, um, which is you know the portrayal of grief, which is obviously like a massive crux of the show. It kind of mm. drives like the whole narrative, obviously. I think, um, is, yeah. And I I want to ask like, do you think that it kind of handles that? What do you think it handles? Wonder well as good. I will start with Callum. Yeah. Um, yeah. Since you kind of sort of uh, made me think about that more while I was watching it, how do you think it handles it? Well, I think it goes back to that point we raised earlier of uh, kind of wondering whether this is kind of its own thing or whether it's trying to set up a bunch of other stuff. Uh, I'm of the personal opinion that this feels very much like the phase four branching off point. You have all these you know, different characters, as you mentioned, like Monica and stuff, and that gets away in a lot. That gets in the way of a lot of the episodes. Um, so I do feel like while it explores grief in okay ways like there are some interesting ideas they again i'm just of the opinion that they never fully commit to it they this yeah i don't you know you have these sequences uh of grief i suppose but it's never really as powerful as it should be um Mm. and i think also one of my problems is that uh this show is obviously taking place after endgame uh, and obviously a lot of the trauma that Wanda has experienced. And I'm glad that they're exploring, you know, the, the kind of trauma of that character a bit more. But it does feel a bit weirdly placed to some degrees. Because um, Endgame seems to frame her character as if she's quite fine and she's doing okay. And she can kind of handle things that are going on. But all of a sudden we're thrust into WandaVision and she's suddenly really alone 
And it just doesn't add up as well as I would have hoped it to be. She alone at the start. I disagree. You know, she isn't. She's with Vision. I disagree. She's with Vision at the start. I, I, that's the, I, I would disagree with that because I think... Yeah, you, Louise, you go. Okay. Um, so I read an article the other day that, set, that was talking about the question of how WandaVision deals with grief, but in the idea of do we allow women to grieve properly? Because... Something I got away from looking at through that angle, because I've rewatched the show pretty much as soon as the finale aired, from start to finish, and you can see Wanda going through the stages of grief. Like, she's very much in denial at the beginning, and then the finale, when the illusion is dropping and she's saying goodbye, like, she's coming to terms with the fact that she doesn't have vision anymore, that she's lost everyone in her life, pretty much. She's lost Tony, she's lost her parents, she's lost her brother, she's lost her lover. But people are still wanting to kind of show her as this villainous character because, like, her reaction to grief isn't the same as other people. Like, if you contrast her to Monica, for example, uh, Maria Rambo's daughter, who passed away in that point where she was snapped or blipped, um, she just throws herself into work. Like, she doesn't... She's, you can tell that she's grieving, but there isn't that way of she's going to fall to the ground and scream and cry that some people might do. People's reactions to grief are different. I, I agree with that totally, Louise. I, t- I totally agree with that. And I think I think it's a really, really important point to make in this in the show is that I think it is Wanda's story in the end. And I think actually, like you said, I think for me, I also would say as well, you know, Elizabeth Folsom does probably a, a, tr- a fantastic performance in this in this entire show, I think, from start to finish. And I find, actually, for me, this is when, because I know you guys talk about episode four, but I think, for me, episode four was actually, I was quite glad they actually in- showed, like, the more world, but also, you get that bit of wonder and wonder what we've done, and she says, you know, things going to be okay between us and such. And I thought, like, to this day, is she kind of, by mistake, creates this whole fantasy. And although that moment has a bit of a Doctor Who sort of feel to it, <laughs> I still, you know, which I know, I know, I know that the first thing I thought at that moment was I thought, was I, I generally thought for a second she would change her face. Because, so, you know, the whole wide, well, arms wide out, you know, that the whole. That's really the, funny. Yeah, exactly. That's the way. That's the. It is kind of a regeneration if you think about it, you know. And, mm. you know, in a similar way, in the 10th Doctor, there's a, such a weird tangent here. But, you know, it's sort of, it's kind of similar to the 10th Doctor, when the 10th Doctor says, you know, I don't want to go. And then, you know, and through his pain, he regenerates into the into Matt Smith in a similar way here. You know, she, yeah, she finds I, she finds I think it's really interesting. To think that, she creates right? the hex. And I think I for me, that's the general. Yeah, I know. And also, I, just, I think the way they construct that moment is just the, I just I just I just generally love the music in that moment as well, because it generally I generally got goosebumps watching that because it was because it was sort of like, yeah. Yeah, I just want to clarify, I'm not saying that the show poorly represents grief i am 100 percent in the opinion that in the moments where they show the grief it is really well done um my problem is that i feel like a lot of the other elements of the show are weighing those sequences down you know i think that's particularly uh significant in the final episode where it's kind of like she's only really confronted once with what she's done to the town and then right at the end she speaks to monica and monica's like you'll never know they'll they'll never they'll never know what you sacrifice for these people and i just sat there thinking why would they care about that when they've when she literally enslaved them for like who knows how long Mm. in this nightmarish situation it feels a bit too much like that 
trying to that kind of Marvel way of like trying to say there's there's uh, how do how do I say it? Sort of um, brushing it under the rug is like, yeah, yeah she's done yeah. semi evil things. They, you can they just do. Yeah, I totally it. agree. They do the similar things with Tony in kind of the first Iron Man and kind of subsequent films, even though, you know, one or two instances they kind of get onto that point. But it is the endemic of that sort of Marvel thing of like kind of easily forgiving this character's flaws a little too much. And that kind of mm-hmm. took away from me, for me personally. I don't um, think they do forgive her. I don't think they do in the end. Because I, I, think, I think all the way through the show. They, no, they, no, I, what I'm, I'm saying. I'm, what I'm saying is the town doesn't forgive her. Monica, the, the show seems to be framing Wanda in a sympathetic light, which is fine. But then it's kind of like when Monica says, they'll never know what you sacrificed. It's, it just doesn't add up with, with the torture they've on, undergone. It just doesn't. See, I don't think that... Um, I'm going to go over it a couple of... Um, so... I think it's only Monica who sort of forgives it because she completely understands. Like, it's the, the fact that they're two grieving women who may not um, actually have that grief understood. Mm. Um, and going back to what Theo was saying earlier about grief um, and the article, um, what's one thing that we do when, like, we're scared or frightened or we're sad we revert back to something that brings us comfort and for wonder as we find out in episode eight it's sitcoms it's bewitched it's uh, the dick van dyke show which explains why she picked sitcoms as um the way that she was wanting to show this real life she's leaning they kind of leaned into it in a meta format as well i think yeah, because definitely. if you look at the ad breaks in the first couple of episodes, that like you've got the beeping toaster, which is the Stark bomb, and like there's little hints throughout of it, all of it, that you know it's Wanda, it's her in in this life that she envisioned envisioned for herself because of what she loves and what she wants to escape. Yeah. I, I I do I agree on that. I I think actually sort of um yeah again I I think the whole idea of that is I think I like the fact that they use this. I think I like the fact that they they explain the sitcoms in that because I think because I think the the way how when, when we when we find that review later on I thought oh of that of course that makes a lot of sense of why then she picks that and I think actually then mm. I, maybe maybe on a I don't know if Louise on your second viewing maybe on a second viewing some of those elements of the metaphor might come out a bit more when you watch it again. Yeah, I found of, that because yeah, you're looking think, out for the pieces and like yeah, looking for the yeah, details exactly, and stuff, yeah. rather than just trying to piece together what the hell is happening. Like, exactly. Oh, yeah. okay, so it's this, so I can look for this instead. Yeah, and I and I would, but um, I want to come back to the point that Callum made about the show not being sympathetic. I don't about the show being sympathetic. I didn't I don't say think, that. No, 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 I didn't. No, you, you, no, you said the show was sim- show show is trying to be sympathetic to Wanda, and I, I think, I think. About episode eight, I think the show does kind of pull to that side because we see Wanda's side of the story. Then I think that's when the show becomes a bit more sympathetic. But I don't think that I don't think at any point in the show, I never kind of simp- I never felt I saw sort of sympathize with Wanda. I sort of felt I felt very kind of um, 
conflicted with my with my feelings when watching it at times. And I loved. I think for me, the best one of the best scenes I think in the whole one division is episode. It's the end of episode five when Vision destroys the sitcom conventions of the credits and and basically argues with saying you know this man has a family and you're doing something to her and and it's the it's kind of the the one big moment in the show where generally like they they proper confront for the first time where like vision and wonder actually confront each other and it's and we sort of side with vision at, at that point so i don't think throughout the show the show ever kind of attempts to sort of force you to sympathize with Wanda and also at the end the show leaves you ambiguous with Wanda at the end because it's quite clear that you know through Wanda's experience throughout this and in the whole town when she when she leaves the town it's clear that sort of she it's clear that she feels sorry for them and and she feels sort of bad for what she did like she doesn't feel she doesn't she doesn't feel happy when she leaves it she doesn't feel satisfied when she leaves it and I think actually that sets up quite an interesting thing for Doctor Strange too when when we see her again then so I will I, that's that's what I would add to that point I think it's an interesting point which would you bring up there though about I want to um ask you guys about the sort of i guess maybe the the most exciting or what we thought was sort of the most exciting reveal right which i think it was episode oh. four right which was which was pietro and I, um uh, it, it's yeah. an important thing because you know the marvel's been teasing the multiverse whatever um oh, for a I while now that. to me it was one of the most frustrating aspects of the show and it really goes hand in hand with what i was saying earlier about my general criticisms um is that they set you know this up and the um, in the end it just sort of turns out to be sort of a little homage or a little hint to, to X-Men and stuff like that, and just a, a little sort of wink-nudge. Um, but, you know, it, it sort of ends up going nowhere. Um, and I found that quite quite frustrating. I mean, I mean, what did you guys think of, of the cameo? We start with Louise. Oh, God. Um, so I had that spoiled for me before I went on and watched the episode. I so I knew too. it was coming. Um, but honestly, even if it hadn't been spoiled, I don't think my opinion would have changed that much. Um, like, I like Pietro, and I like Peter in the X-Men films, um, but mm. the way it was handled, and then the reveal of that it was Agatha all along, um, yeah. I don't know, it felt very um, ham-fisty. If you know what I mean, yeah, like, it definitely. They're putting did. it in there so they can have another shock twist. But if you look at it from another angle, it feels like just deliberately playing with someone's emotions for drama and for a show that's supposed yeah. to be about a grieving woman and how Wanda's getting through this and how they're going to try and stop her from harming other people while doing it. Uh, I wasn't yeah. entirely into like on board with it it sounded too good to be true i think yeah yeah and it, it's just frustrating that they set like pieces of world building up like that um only to kneecap them i think sort of why i say it's a show of two halves is because you have all of these things so is it pietro is a good example but it's even down to the little ones you know where in i think it's episode two or three. Oh no actually it might be four where they say you know oh did, did wanda have like a superhero name when she was in the avengers and hayward says nope she's just wanda and that's sort of a way of telling the audience that we're not, she's not called Scarlet Witch in this universe, right? And then they betray that later by Agnes saying, you, you are the, in that roll credits moment, you know, that makes you the Scarlet Witch. Um, and that's fine, but like, but like pick one, you know, it's, 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 it's sort of reneging on itself and kneecapping itself. I think, in a, I think in a lot of areas, and I'm, I think Pietro's sort of another example of that. 
I think for me, I sort of, I, I have to say, I think for me, Evan Peters was probably one of the worst elements of the show. And I think yeah. it comes down to, to two things. I think for, for me personally, like when, when he appeared, I mean, I've, I, someone who didn't really watch, who's not really watched the X-Men films, but when, when I read a bit online, I sort of understood, I mean, when, when he turned up, I was a bit like, you know, like who like, I was like, okay, you know, this is his brother. But I realized, oh, there's got to be some sort of methods here. So, so clearly, I think clearly Feige and sort of, and Jack Schaefer were trying to sort of, his head writer of the show, were kind of trying to sort of, you know, have a bit of a cameo. But I think one of the things that happens, I think, is actually, is that actually the choice of casting Ever Peters as Quicksilver in this. We will, I will rather call Quicksilver Pietro because he is Quicksilver in this. Because we've already had Aaron Taylor Johnson as Quicksilver. And so, by so I thought like why not just bring back Aaron Taylor Johnson then you know yeah just cause, know. it's really it, strange it's, it's, that they're not going to do the mo- it's not going to do the X Men crossover thing like exactly yeah they're not going to do that exactly that's exactly not going to do it so I was I was like when when he appeared I was I was like when everyone's like what's Pietro what's his name? Evan Peters is just a guy called Ralph Boner which I to me, I sort of laughed at that because I thought I just I found it quite amusing that Marvel kind of did a massive middle finger at all the fan theories a bit. But I've always sort of, you know, involved like in advance from all this. But sort of, I found kind of the fact that it was it's 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 a weird thing because I, when I saw everyone getting really annoyed, that I was like, well, like, what do you expect? You know, like, do you really expect some sort of big epic deal break is going to happen where Fox are going to go, oh, you know, suddenly he's going to be Quicksilver, and then we're going to get Hugh Jackman coming in, and we're going to get you no know, Ian McKellen coming, but it's like, you know, well, if on, we're being know? told that this is leading into a film called Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. You know, right after Far From Home has also been playing with the multiverse thing. I think I do think it's reasonable to see that reveal and think maybe it's hinting at that kind yeah. of thing. I mean, what did you think, Alan? Like, are you agreeing? It's, it's, it's again one of those exemplary moments of the show where it's like, you know, to one degree, yes, all the fan theories are very, very rabid, very kind of intense, and the discourse surrounding the show right now with so many people disappointed. It's just kind of like, well, what did you expect? But at the same no, I, time. I, yeah. But at the same time, the show does frame these certain moments as if it is leading to something. So, for example, when we see Peter Evans, uh, I discovered that in the audio description, they actually say it is the Quicksilver from the X-Men scenes. So, you know, with that framing in mind, it, it becomes hard to, you know, make up any sort of version other than what That's the show is telling us and what the show seems to be framing us yeah um, and i just want to yeah. add quickly too that um that the cast and filmmakers didn't help either because they were I, I forget who it was but some i think one of the actors i think paul bettany said that he got to work on set with an actor he'd wanted to work with all his life and then this. he came and then he came out yeah at the, end the and cameo joking um, and then he, uh, yeah, and then, yeah, and then also said, you know, there's a, a Mandalorian level cameo, you know, somewhere in this series. Surprise, um, it's me. Yeah, right. Yeah. Which is, um, I that, though. It's, it's just yeah, funny it's because, because I think the, the thing, well, I think one of the things that clearly Paul Bettany would, and I, 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 I've listened to an interview after this because Paul Bettany was generally kind of playing a bit of a joke in it. And then he didn't realize how everyone got quite serious about, like, oh my God, well, it's, it's going to be, you know, Ben's comeback's going to turn up, or, you know, maybe, maybe some, maybe, maybe next, maybe so. I, I, I was reading a Den of Geek article. I do like their stuff a lot, but they, they were sort of like, did this, they were sort of this article about kind of guessing like who is going to be the last cameo. And it was just like ridiculous names, like being thrown about, like Doctor, I mean, Doctor Strange arguably would, would have been, I wouldn't have been surprised Doctor Strange turned up, but again, Again, it's sort of, again. It, I I just I'd rather have I'd rather just not have that happen because by having a cameo in it, it's sort of again it sort of 
moves one division away from being its own thing and trying to be setting up the MCU. And I think the points that you made, Harry, that would have made that a lot worse, actually, if they just kept bringing, you know, sort of big kind of epic cameos into the whole thing. So, yeah, to be honest, I, I honestly think I would have... Pref- I think I and might sound hypocritical. I think I would have preferred it if they did that big cameo at the end because it feels like so much of the series is building towards you know all this other Marvel stuff. It, I felt um, not not insulted as an audience member, but I felt a bit frustrated in the end when there's this like sort of aftermath scene well, where they kind of so. go and they try and wrap everything up like it's been yeah. this really sort of self-contained package when it hasn't felt mm. like that at all. I disagree. I think yeah. they try to keep it open. So the stuff coming in and the stuff coming out. So it's mm. so kind of... And Paul Bessme said he's wanted to work on a sitcom-esque thing for a while. So why not have some fun with it? I'd have some fun with it if I got the opportunity. And, um... Like... Yeah, okay, we've got some big... Like, a spiritual trilogy of the new Spider-Man and the Multiverse of Madness coming after WandaVision that apparently apparently supposed to link into each other or supposed to have some tangible connection but i don't know i i think well i think i think the way that sorry um but i think the way that they released it weekly rather than all at once like they were gonna have this mass speculation about theories anyway as opposed to here's the everything go marathon it in one evening where you've got all your answers mm, covered yeah. rather than like it stirred up discussion purely because it went back to that sitcom format of okay we're going to release one episode a week good luck yeah <laughs> yeah and in that way the you know the show is positioning us to speculate so i i do agree that like the you know yeah. the media went crazy and that's and that's fine yeah, but absolutely. um you know my my point is my point here is really just that um it's i don't think it's solely their fault and i think that uh a lot of the things in the show are framed improperly for something that isn't going to do the the kind of big link at the end i'd i'd take Mm. a self-contained thing over a big mcu world building thing any day but um it felt like it didn't really know what it was trying to do especially toward Mm. the end of those two things yeah i I agree with that yeah um i think uh, a relevant point also speaking with that kind of talking about how you know earlier I think you said Theo it was kind of the most like creative thing Marvel have ever done uh, and I think that's I, I said it's the most inventive thing like the first I said yeah. specifically the first three that most inventive but no go ahead go ahead yeah I think I think that's an interesting point to talk about in regards to uh you know what we just spoke about uh especially when you compare it to probably the most self-contained franchise and the most risk-taking uh, property of the MCU, the Guardians films. You know, the Guardians one and two, arguably one is a bit more connected, but volume two is almost entirely about those characters. Uh, mm. And I do feel like James Gunn is one of those directors in the MCU who are the most risk taking. Um, you know, and I do feel like if you compare it to that, this show, um, it does, it does, uh, it doesn't hold up as strong in terms of it being yeah. its own thing. That, that's um, that's because One Division is a TV show and a comedy. Oh, no, 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 it's not a comedy. No, One of his TV shows a bit more of a drama slash comedy rather than Guardians Galaxy kind of fill out. Those shows are kind of like they, those Guardians Galaxy are marketed as like kind of fill out brands and sort of like of comedy and a bit of sci fi thrown in there. So, yeah. 
I, I, I understand that comparison in terms of risk taking. I do understand that comparison completely because it is because I think that that was one of the first times where Guardians of the Galaxy came out where the style was really changed up. You know, like we didn't have the Iron Man free and then suddenly, and suddenly, oh, we're now going to space. So we definitely had a real kind of change. I think one of the things that this show brings up a lot is magic again. And, you know, sort of, and I think, again, the point, point you make again, Harry, about kind of setting the whole kind of thing, kind of setting stuff up. I think for me, it really depends on how much you know about the stuff, how much you didn't. Like, for example, before the show began, I didn't even know there was even rumours going about that Andrew Garfield and um, Tobe Maguire had been cast to be in the new Spider-Man film, which, I'll be brutally honest, I, uh, after watching this, I don't know if those rumours are going to be true now. Because I yeah, think I think I think I think, Jim, I think Jimmy they're I think Jimmy they're feeding some because I mean it it just sounds too good if, if they if they do it and they pay off I'll be like well fair I'll be like fair play you know but it's going to be like mm. the most epic sort of Spider Man film ever but I just I just do not see them doing that at all I mean I could really regret this in in by by come December this year <laughs> but sort of um you know kind of um. But I think it. I think a lot of the about Wonder Vision is. I think it's one of the really key points that someone said about movies is what what you bring to them is what you get from them, and the same with Wonder Vision. It's kind of what you bring to it. You know all the fan theories and all your knowledge about the stuff coming up and all your kind of Marvel etc. If you bring all that to Wonder Vision, you're not going to get most of that coming back to you. So I think I think actually if I was somebody who didn't read all these theories, I mean, which probably might be interesting, probably just talk about but some of the fan theories here, um, sort of. If I didn't read any of these fan theories, would have, would this would the show have been a much more sort of satisfying experience? Personally, I did find it satisfying in the end because I tried to sort of appreciate it as its own kind of story thing. Then you know, trying to sort of be like, oh, it didn't set up Spider Man, or it didn't try to set up this. You know, I think that um, what you spoke about there, Theo, kind of like people and their theories, kind of why didn't they fulfill my theory? I think that speaks more to a general problem with film discourse as is especially yeah. with the mcu like mm. marvel marvel makes a profit off of spoiler culture that's just a fact you know you go on you know spoilers are such a huge thing and also you know trying to you know with the interconnectedness of this universe and the the obviously the new the new deals which are very explicit you with like fox and gaining all these new properties um so i do think this show is an interesting kind of example of what this kind of current film discourse can sort of do, you know, not even just for like films, but like TV shows that are also related to the films. Yeah. Um, there's uh, one other thing I wanted to raise as well. Um, and it's something of a criticism, but I'm sort of curious, this is a bit more speculative, uh, but at the end, obviously in, in sort of the final episode, we see, uh, I think, is it white vision? Is that the uh, uh, canon name? Yeah, I'm, I'm not yes, sure. Yeah. Gray vision, whatever. Cool white vision. Um, we see sort of Paul Bettany's uh, fake vision. I don't know the, you know, the, whatever Westview vision. I just say Westview vision. Transfer yeah. all the memories into it. And I, I don't know that white vision is going to be like vision going forward, you know, and they're mm. just going to sort of wholesale bring him back. But I did feel a little bit frustrated that um, they're yeah. sort of slowly removing the consequences of Endgame a bit. And I, I it, in it undermined, I think, the very, very touching scene when Wanda has to let go of her Westview vision. And, and you know, he says, see you later, darling. And it sort of fades away. I found that really poignant. Um, but it's sort of undercut by the fact that um, that the vision is still 
and all those memories are still yeah. sort of there in a, in a real thing. And I, I just wish they'd, again, I just wish they'd committed a bit more to I having hope this they don't. idea of like she's letting go. And I, yeah, yeah, and I really hope that it's White a... Vision isn't a mainstay, you know? Yeah, I really hope they don't do that. Yeah, I agree. Like, it's a similar st- situation. I think we spoke about this yesterday, Harry, with uh, Gamora, right? Oh, yes. Because in oh, Infinity God, War. Oh, God, that's a good point. Yeah, because in Infinity War, obviously, she dies. She gets absolutely fridged. I'm sorry. Spoilers. <laughs> Uh, spoilers. Dude, I hadn't seen uh, that yet. <sighs> but then, obviously, in Endgame, like we get the past version of her, and she doesn't have the same memories as uh, the the Gamora we we were used to. And it's a similar situation with White Vision. Like he now has these memories, but from what I know about this character, from whatever, uh, he doesn't have like the same emotions. So he has the memories, but not the emotions. So it yeah. Right. It is this difficult, yeah. It's this difficult <laughs> line to balance. Yeah, and it's it's fr- it's like just just let it go now. It, mm-hmm. it, it just feels like such a uh, annoying thing for now. The sort of MCU Absolutely. narrative to have to deal with this this what you know mm. this sort of fake vision that can't feel or whatever. You know, I, I just I don't know what they I don't know what they're going to do with it. But um, I really and there's a second series coming too. Well, like, the, oh, is there? Sure. Yeah, they, they haven't I'm confirmed sure. it though. I don't think it. I don't think it's. I think it's. Wasn't it? I thought it was confirmed. Well, let's see. Because I don't, I don't if you think see, it's if you see this as like Wanda's grieving, like um, and she accepts it at the end. She's willing to move on. To kind of have it. it's yeah, just mm. let her become her own person without having to still have this crutch to the past. Probably why they didn't have an end credit with White Vision at the end. Because if they had an end credit with White Vision, then I think that would have definitely sort of given taken a lot of the value away from that. I mean, I I really hope they do, they do not do that at all. But I think I think considering that Feige has sort of and since Kevin Feige through the Marvel films has done a, at this at this moment of time a pretty good job in making sure consequences are not kind of revoked. I don't think Feige I think Feige's quite I think hopefully smart enough to know that if he does that, that is gonna sort of be that's gonna make WandaVision completely a waste of everyone's time of doing that. So I don't I I don't think they'll do that. Mm. I think what my vision will definitely come back in some way, but I just don't want it to be like, oh, Wanda starts falling in love again. And it's like, really? Like, we're actually going to do this again, you know? I do have one slightly horrible idea. It was a theory that I saw when, like, the whole um, end credits of episode eight where White Vision was revealed and woken up. Um, Someone mentioned that Vision is the Mind Stone. And because that white vision doesn't have the mind stone it's ultron mm-hmm. or it's some of ultron's programming i was thinking that yeah i would actually really like that because i do yeah i, I really love ultron as a villain uh james spader played him for- oh, oh god yes on me. Uh, <laughs> I, so i do like hope they actually use that to bring him back because i know that character has a lot of history in the comics and you know i do think that character has a lot of potential um so. It would be in character for Ultron, though, mm. especially when what we, especially when we saw him in Age of Ultron, yeah, where he transferred his consciousness to other bodies and other yeah. forms. Age of Ultron is a really good film. It's it's actually my favorite Avengers film. That is a hot take. It is a oh, hot take. 
<laughs> Which, we, we, really good. That's, that should be our catchphrase at every point when someone says something like that. You know, e.g., <laughs> e.g., four e. Ragnarok should be called board dragged a lot. That is a <gasps> hot take. You take that back. We are not going into <gasps> four debate. I disagree. With I 100% avert, agree with avert, you. Avert. With this avert. I've I've done I've done that debate many times, and I will I will happily stand by my points. But we're not going. There. <laughs> you we will are lie not on going. <laughs> I will. I will go to my grave saying that saying that, saying that catchphrase. Anyway, um, the other thing I think is um, Agnes as a villain is quite is quite interesting. I, does anyone have any sort of strong feelings um, on whether she worked or didn't work, or if she'll be sort of a mainstay in films going forward? I think for me, um, in terms of Ag- Ag- Agatha, definitely. I think yeah, that's, that's, I, I thought that was quite interesting to do to bring up. We haven't brought up yet. In terms of Agatha, was that? Um, I think. It was it was it was quite clear when because I, I was reading a lot bit people were talking about kind of structure in the sitcom, and I think for me, I think Agra should have been introduced a bit earlier on into it because I did find it quite weird how we're in episode seven we find out about the villain and then we get two episodes of a villain and there was, there was also a bit of a shame with Agatha as well. Is that um, I mean, apart, apart apart from the Is Agatha All Along song, which was quite humorous, which I thought was actually quite a very humorous and sticking with yeah uh, sticking with the, yeah, sticking with the, the Wonder Vision, that's quite a humorous way to sort of reveal the villain. Um, well, the thing with Agatha I felt was that because um, again, I'm from reading stuff online, stuff from the comics, stuff again, I'm bringing stuff from my knowledge and such. Agatha is kind of a mentor in the comics. And in this, she sort of, she just didn't, she doesn't really, they don't really spend any time kind of developing her. They just sort of develop her as basically just a villain. And then she yeah, gets kind of thrown like off. She's evil and she lost. wants Wanda's powers and is a yeah. big bad. And that sort of yeah. thing. Again, I don't, and I agree, she's introduced too late, definitely. Yeah, I don't think, she, I don't think we've seen the last of her. I don't think we've definitely seen the last of her. Because it's clear that, the, you know, they they kind of did a very clever way to be like, you know, you're going to be here. And then when she says, you know, like, but you need me, he says, I'll need you when, she says, you know, I'll need you when I, when I need you. So it's clear that we're going to, I think it's likely we're going to have one um, Agatha Harkness coming back, definitely, in, later on. I hope we do. I hope we get her back. I like Ooh, Catherine like, Hahn and like everything uh, too, so. Yes, she, she plays a good MCU villain. She does. She plays a good villain. The thing is, I sort of locked on sort of immediately that something was up with her, purely because mm. this is not the first time she's done that sort of reveal in a Marvel film. Because she was uh, Olivia Octavius in Into the Spider Verse, which did something similar. Like, yeah, she was. I totally forgot about that. Yeah. What a great film. Anyway. <laughs> so good. <laughs> <laughs> But as soon as I recognised the voice, I was like, wait, hang on. And then once you put two and two together, you start sort of trying to find a tangible connection. It may not have worked out. Like, it could have just been Agatha was, Agnes was just a nosy neighbour. And it would have, it would have just been like a red herring to have her cast. But no, I think it's quite interesting that it worked out like that. And that's how I came to the conclusion. Uh, Agatha is a great villain, and I hope we see more yeah. of her. I've just yeah, seen as well yeah. that apparently Agatha all along has um, topped the iTunes charts. <laughs> right. no. I think it's in America. I think it's in America, not in the US. Not here, though. I don't. Know. Yeah, I literally, I literally just saw an article. So uh, I, I don't. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Don't Google that for yourself uh, if you're listening. But that's yeah. amazing. Yeah, that, that that's quite funny. funny because that, you know. Yeah, I I really I really love uh, Catherine Hard's performance. I think she does a great job. Um, I do yeah. very much agree. Like, 
it, it's a difficult one because it's like, yeah, she's revealed late because in that last episode, she doesn't really do anything. She kind of just floats there and throws a car at Wanda at one time. And then there's this weightless battle in the sky. And then Wanda tricks in, into beating her. And then it's just kind of, that's it. Um, so I do feel like she has a lot of potential, especially with the future. But in the show, again, another wasted element. We could probably ask how about that. I think the point you brought about that weightlessness. Um, sort of, I think, I do, I do agree that had that, that, that death, that fight to have a weightlessness. But I think that's because I was watching on a television screen and not seeing it in the cinema. I think if I was watching this, that, that, that final episode properly in the cinema, maybe it might have, a, maybe the visual effects might have a bit more heft. Because I, because, Sort of, we could probably talk a bit about the visual effects. It's sort of the last, the, the it, it was clear that the last episode they threw so much money at the at that. Basically, I, I, I'm guessing they probably spent probably about nearly two thirds of the budget on those last two episodes, definitely. So, you know, I, I do think that bit with Agatha because it's a bit of a shame because you know, she kind of what is it? She um, was it she sort of strangles the two boys, you know, child cruelty. Uh, she then sort of then kind of um you know said throw a car she then stops the mind thing and then she has a couple of lines of being of being kind of like trying to sort of some sort of evil things and like, you know, <laughs> and she's just kind of gone yep yeah, your neighbor you know just cast aside quite quickly so you know but but then again that might be sort of emphasized again that this is you know just it is about sort of the birth of scarlet witch that last episode was and i had to be, i thought the reveal was very good in terms of revealing that Scarlet Witch costume and such, I, I was like, okay, like this is not, you know, sort of a, a character that we're going to be kind of like in, in Infinity War that we're going to kind of cast aside now. This is going to be a character we're definitely going to really sort of have a lot of focus going forward in Marvel, which I liked a lot. I was going to ask, how did you guys actually feel about that? Because it feels like they're retconning her, like magic, like getting these powers from experiments for her to actually be magical all along, or is that the wrong vibe? These. I think she, 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 no, no. I think the key point was that in episode eight, or and in both episode nine, she doesn't know how to control her magic. So even though she was being experimented, because it's clear from the, it's clear from the, from the, from the beginning with the bomb, she had magic from then on. She was born with magic, but she didn't know it. And throughout her life, she didn't know she had magic. And it's only now that she's sort of cut. She, she's sort of. So through one through the character of Wanda Maximoff before Scarlet Witch, we we should say you know B B was it before B, B C before Scarlet Witch or B S B S W you know so the fact that beforehand she didn't really have you know control she didn't could do a lot and now the fact she's starting to really understand her powers she can now kind of become and start to become the Scarlet Witch who as many many fans want want to see you know her kind of opening up a massive crack in the multiverse, which would be quite an epic but moment. that wasn't really previously established in any of the other films, so this feels like retroactively... It's not the first time, it's not the first time the MCU's done that, though. Yeah, like, they, they don't in, establish Especially that. with, like, Thor's arc beyond the Dark World to Endgame and what we're probably going to get into with Thor Love and Thunder. Um, like, some of his stuff humanises him a lot more in the retcon rather than like we're building a character forward by explaining past and stuff like that like the sudden reveal of oh they have a sister who's going to destroy the asgard and want to enslave everyone yeah okay there's no hint of that earlier but i think That's with wonder 
Does it really matter? Like, she still has those powers in the end. Like, also, you never I, kind of set yeah. up Wanda anywhere in the first and, place. You never really set her up. She's kind of and in the, sort of yeah. there in the background. Sorry. The thing is, in X Men, the mutants have the genes anyway, and like, it's not the MCU, but Deadpool has the genes to have the mutation unfold, where he can um, heal himself, but they don't immediately exhibit themselves unless under a stressful situation or something triggers them. Which I think is sort of a vibe that we get from Wanda, maybe as a nod to her being a mutant in the X-Men series. Well, I don't know, because obviously Avengers Age of Ultron very much sets up that she gains her powers from the Mind Stone, which is a completely different thing. So Mm. to me, it just feels like, obviously with the whole Fox, you know, acquisition that they're now retroactively Mm. kind of adding in like the elements that they probably would have wanted to use but only now they can um i just thought it was an intriguing point really not really a criticism although i wasn't a huge fan of that i do want to say as well in that last episode i thought even though it wasn't the most earned thing ever i did think that the thing with the runes on the uh westview's kind of uh i don't know whatever it is magic bubble um was quite creative and and quite cool because um because of the you know she goes down when captain hans revealed to be uh, agatha it's like uh, you know that's her kind of spot in the town that sort of dungeon so it's you know sort of asserting that this you know this town is sort of wonders and which was a quite nice way to sort of cap off that narrative in the last episode and it was just quite mm-hmm. quite creative uh visually as well it's also quite interesting how, especially in the last in the last credit scene, is the fact that she's reading. Um, I didn't get this from the first watch. I had to read some stuff online. Is she's reading the 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 the, the dark magic book yeah. with that Agatha was sort of hinting at. So the fact she is sort of reading, you know, she's starting to sort of learn evil magic could sort of again again brings a nice sense of ambiguity again towards Wanda going forward, which I, I really which I do I really appreciate it. I sort of I I was quite glad. One of the things I think. I was glad about i think what's interesting about these mcu movies or these, not MCU, these mcu tv shows is that i think they're going to sort of focus more on the on the supporting cast of the mcu more than rather than like focus on you know like the main kind of big big top like movie stars so we're not going to have like for example you know falcon and winter soldier two characters who have kind of been sort of who are big important characters um in the show in or in the movies but they haven't kind of had a real emphasis on them. So we're going to have, especially with Falcon, I think. So we're going to have like a TV show about it. So I do like the fact that these TV shows are kind of, they, they feel a bit like sort of an added, ad, was it addendum in a way, in yeah. terms of showing it, you know, but whether uh, whether they are crucial viewing is um, up to the case. I think probably WandaVision might be crucial viewing because I'm guessing that Scarlet, which will be quite heavily in Doctor Strange, you probably need to learn how she became Scarlet Witch in this so you have to probably watch yeah i just want to ask you guys as well like um i don't know if it was just me that saw this if i'm like really into it too much do you think that that last shot where it's going over the mountains that that was that was a shining reference right like it looks sort of the same with the camera movement no, I I, I, thought, I I was the like, drone was sick the drone shot like that one it looks so was... much like the intro mm. of the shining it definitely I, I definitely get what you mean definitely look like shining i thought i thought it kind of reminded me of the end of uh infinity war when you have the log cabin and you have thanos in the log cabin uh leaving and sort oh. of like 
sitting there like with a kind of a smile and kind of sitting over smiling. I don't I don't get why in Avengers for some reason in their in their end credits they seem to be really interested in villain in heroes kind of hiding in the wilderness and in log cabins. Like Black Panther did that with the Winter Soldier. We had that with sort of Thanos. We had that with um was it with the tote with Tony in Endgame, and then now we have that with Scarlet Witch. Is so I don't know if that's sort of a, an interesting yeah. sort of a thread. <laughs> um, does anybody else have any last points? I think we should start thinking about moving on in a minute. Hmm. Uh, well, actually, I actually wanted to return to the point you first made at the beginning of the podcast, Harry, about this being quote unquote the, the first Marvel TV show. Um, I think it's actually going to be interesting to compare this show and also the new shows that are going to come out, like Falcon, the Soldier, etc., to uh, some of the older Marvel shows, so the Netflix shows. That's interesting. I Inhumans. sort of forgot they happened. I liked Daredevil yeah. when they came out, but what, what, what guys? What about Age of Shield? We forgot about Age of Shield. Oh yeah. I, I love, love Agent, Agent Carter that as well. Agent Carter deserves more respect. Oh my god! Oh, I, would, well, I, I would love to see them bring back Agent Carter. I would love to see them do oh, like a third yes. season of that for Disney Plus. They now have the money for Disney Plus. They could definitely happily bring her back now. Mm. You know, I think they can. I mean, they do have also, What If coming up, so yeah. Well, look, I think it's interesting. Really interesting. I think it's Sorry. interesting comparing, like, obviously what we've all said about WandaVision, it being a very inventive kind of quote-unquote risk-taking show. Uh, but I think it's also interesting to compare it to those older shows like Jessica Jones and Luke Cage, which I, which I've watched. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen Daredevil or Iron Fist, and I found those shows to be a really big, like breath of fresh air in the MCU. Mm-hmm. I'm aware that they're not quote like fully connected, and I'm not sure of their like continuity in the MCU at the current moment because of you know behind the scenes nonsense. Um, but those shows really did feel like it was Marvel letting out maybe their like most kind of uh, non-mainstream sort of you know creativity out. Mm. You could, I think, as well. You could also say the fact that Jessica Jones does sort of deal with. You could probably make an interesting link between this and um, Jessica Jones, because Jessica Jones mm. is about sort of it's about. Um, I forgot. I think it's about abuse. I don't, I don't yeah, know yeah. what I thought. Well, the, the, the first season, more so. Uh, yeah. A lot of people really don't like seasons two and three, but I think they're even better. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. I'd quickly say some final thoughts on One Division. I think, you know, like it's, I personally felt it was a bit of a, I thought it was a solid start to this new phase four. Whether it, whether it sort of, whether, whether this stands the test of time, whether this is just another sort of product in the MC line is, wait, we have to wait, we have to wait, wait and see. Um, I think I thought the performances overall really good. I, I really enjoyed the cast. Like I saw, I quite enjoyed Jimmy Woo uh, in in the, in that again. He's the best thought, character I, I, in, in the MCU. He's amazing. Yeah, I thought he's mind. really brilliant. Um, I sort of I, I sort of didn't like the villain in it again. Not the villain. Who, who's the um Hayward? Uh, Hayward. Yeah. I thought, Hayward. I thought, Such yeah, a nothing thought, character. Yeah. Here's another military man. Yeah, and then you know. So um, although it did bring an interesting thing up about that, about the whole sort of um, how he lied about the videotape thing, which I thought, ah, that's an interesting, you know, sort of twist. I felt 
Um, but I thought the cast again, all the cast really good. Like you know, I thought Paul Bettany was brilliant. Uh, Elizabeth Olsen is probably a standout performance. I know people are asking immediately for awards already. We'll have to wait and see. But I do think you know it's a really fantastic, very controlled performance as well. You know, you know, it's clear that she sort of she studied each script and made sure that she wasn't giving away stuff in throughout the performance. So I thought it was very, very well handled in that way. Um, and yeah, I thought the visual effects at times were breathtaking at some points, uh, very computer, very sort of game, game boy computer esque at times. Um, and so, so yeah, I think overall it's a solid start and I, I'm, I'm interested to see what happens. I'm, I'm, I'm excited. I mean, I am going to watch Falcon Winter Soldier now. Definitely. I wasn't excited beforehand, but after watching this, I'm a bit more intrigued now. I don't know that I will. It just doesn't really interest me. But that's kind of what I said about One Division. Then I ended up watching it. So yeah, I guess exactly. we'll find out. Won't yeah, we? I'm more excited for What If, to be honest. Like yeah. just the possibilities of that, and also Marvel's first animated series, or well, like animated that series in that really sense. Interesting. But that like, first tra- was I revealed. wasn't. Yeah, yeah, I wasn't truly like gripped by it as the way that I was when they announced Loki or WandaVision and then I watched the trailer and then I watched it like four times in a row and I was like mm. I'm gonna have to watch this now aren't I I love how the in that trailer they reveal the logo for it and you get like the pool and then Jeffrey Wright just whispering what if and it's like oh yeah I'm vibing with that so yeah I'm, re- I'm it's such I'm a good trailer forward- yeah, it's a really good trailer. I'm really looking forward to that as well. And also not being kind of connected to the MCU, it feels like it's going to be kind of this this really fun kind of its own thing that's kind of a bit of a reward for the fans, you could argue. But yeah. Yeah. And I think for the first thing of first release of Phase 4, it, I don't... Like, it wasn't intended, it wasn't intended to, be to be the first release. Yeah. yeah, it wasn't intended to be the first release, but I think it should have been. Like, with the stuff that's coming up afterwards... It's arguably set a precedent of what we're expecting from this new phase of Marvel media. And I am excited to see whether it follows. Black Widow probably won't, because it's supposed to be that overarch between the Infinity Saga and the stuff coming up. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. Falcon and Winter Soldier, Loki, all the other cu- upcoming films, I can't wait to see where they go with it. Mm. I hope they keep the vibe up. <laughs> yeah, I... I don't know. I think there are a few new properties which are like I'm marginally interested in. Uh, I think the two films of the upcoming MCU I'm most looking forward to is obviously Guardians Volume Three because I'm a huge fan of that property, uh, and uh, Blade. Mm, Blade looks really good. I'm just excited for Tony Leung in Shang Chi. You know, one one of the greatest actors in in the world, yeah. or one of the greatest actors of our generation, is going to be in a Marvel movie. I'm going to play as the villain Mandarin. I'm just, I'm so excited to see what he does. I'm generally so excited. To see. I really hope it's like, it's a. I really hope he's not sort of like there for the money. He's like there, really passionate about it. You know, so I do really hope so because he's such a such a phenomenal actor. Yeah, I think I'm sort of, uh, you know, I'll see Spider Man and stuff, but I'm, I'm going to be a bit more. Uh, selective i think about the marvel films i watched going forward just because endgame just felt like an ending to me and i've i'm mm. not i'm not massively kind of invested in the mcu at this point and um do you think there'll be a phase I mean, five like, do, you, do you think this will like, go on for another like 20 years sorry i don't know i mean pro- probably i mean it's always no sign of slowing down does it really so I, no. I guess we'll find out 
Um, let's move on to the last section then. So this, is, this will just be some TV recommendations, uh, not necessarily things that have come out this year or things that have come out recently, but really just anything we've been watching we'd like to recommend. I have nothing because I've just been watching garbage. So take the floor, whoever <laughs> would like to. Recommend garbage. Yeah. Recommend the band Garbage, which is the band. Hey. Yeah. Nice. Hey. You know, the world is not enough. Eh? Anyway, <laughs> never mind. Um, which which they which they played the song for. No one got that joke. Anyway, um, so <laughs> it's just me. Um, Go on, Theo. Go so, right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Two, two. So I've got two recommendations for terms of TV. Uh, the first one I recommend is personally to me one of one of I I would say probably one of the best of 2021, hands down. It's got a lot of uh, it's has got a lot of press, but it's on BBC iPlayer. It's six episodes, and it is um, Adam Curtis's brand new documentary series. Can't get you out of my head. Uh, an emotional history of the world. I think this is, I think it is incredible. I, th- I think it is. It's basically it's this really sort of. It's very. It's it's hard to explain because it's sort you could because if you're familiar with Adam Curtis, he's always somebody who's very much interested in looking at kind of systems in society, and looking at kind of very much philosoph- philosophical and economical theories, and kind of really putting them into kind of current contemporary as well as combining elements of archive footage and uh, and music as well uh, very ve- very engaging very clever and you know you've seen stuff such as like a bitter lake which was about kind of the about the, about the arabs about stuff about the control of the west in in, in, in arab and also if you watch something such as hypernormalization which was about which is about kind of how it'll how media these days has have everything we feel sort of kind of the world is this sort of is in his word hyper normalized everything's kind of all quick and all, all quite fast but in this but in this one he's sort of he's trying to sort of explain how we kind of got from a to b so for example so one of the main things he's kind of talking about is kind of how society has has played with our emotions and how through these emotions we sort of now now have um we now we now kind of um sort of are much more much more angrier we're much more kind of a much more aggressive society than we were back before due to such as and especially one of the things he brings up in the first episode is the idea of conspiracy theories when basically somebody sort of made um there's this guy called um oh, i forgot his name uh, it's, uh Jer- oh, 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 I've, 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 I've got i've got the man's name he literally he literally appeared and then and he just literally no, no that's, that's it kerry fawn and um he essentially um he basically made this joke about conspiracy theory. He was kind of someone who was sort of a um, child of cultural movement in America. And he and one of the things that Adam Kerr's kind of um, discusses really fascinatingly is that he did he made this theory called or this um, this plan called Operation Mindfuck, which was essentially you could beat that out, which was basically um he sort of he went on a newspaper like a Playboy magazine and he put out this these words he basically kind of this theory about, you know, kind of how um, the world is con- is constructed by these people in Bavarian society, and this society is called the Illuminati. And as you now probably guess now, that theory, and he sort of think, oh, no one's going to sort of, you know, believe in that. And everyone believed in it, and everyone started conspiracy. So it's all these kind of interesting connections in history with uh, much more contemporary elements, such as kind of artific- artificial intelligence, uh, conspiracy theories, um, cultural uh, influence and how we, how these elements sort of have shaped our society today i think it's generally incredible and yeah probably one of the best shows ever and the other thing i recommend oh. is uh, it's called it's called can't get you out of my head an emotional history of the world and it's by filmmaker adam curtis and then the, and the second thing i want to recommend if i haven't been talking for too long um is um is of course uh, of course because the sixth season's coming up 
I finally recommend everyone catching up on Line of Duty, which is one of the one of the probably one of the best police dramas in in the in coming out in the last decade. Uh, Gemma Curio drama about about a police corruption about a fictional police corruption unit who essentially sort of tackle track down and tackle uh, corrupt policemen in their service and it's yeah it's generally gripping each season they bring new cameo they bring new kind of guest stars so season one was uh was let was uh lenny james then you had uh keely halls um who's it fandy newton from uh mission impossible and, all, and um was it westworld's in it uh, last season Stephen Graham and this season we've got Kelly McDonald who's been in train spotting and was weirdly in Harry Potter as well. So yeah, so I highly recommend people catching up to that because it's going to be an exciting sixth season. Louise or Callum? So I ha- I also have two recommendations. One is like a show that is a couple of years old that I've recently found. You know when you just randomly search on Netflix and you get like a really good recommendation? It's called Timeless. It is basically a sci-fi show of these three characters, Wyatt, uh, Rufus, and, oh god, I can't remember the historian's name, but they're basically going back in time to, like, the Alamo. They go to stop Lincoln being assassinated. They go to World War One. They go to the find the Nixon tapes. And there's this whole like Templar Illuminati-esque conspiracy with this thing called Rittenhouse. And it's two seasons and then a a finale episode, which is like an hour long. And honestly, it's so good. It's uh, one of its um, executive producers is Eric Kripke. So if that doesn't persuade you. (laughs) And the other one is, he does like all the... (laughs) Uh, and the other recommendation is something that came out on BBC iPlayer and then was shown on BBC One since New Year's. It's The Serpent. Um, so it's sort of like drama. Um, Bangkok 1975, there's this whole um, like conspiracy of... I wouldn't say conspiracy, it's this couple are inviting uh, Gapyar travellers into their home, slowly poisoning them so they can rob them. And then eventually one traveller goes missing and then it, one of the workers at the, I think it's the Dutch um, embassy, realises there's something whole, like a whole conspiracy and a whole like murder trail. And it's really, really good. It's got Jenna Coleman in it. And it's eight episodes, so you can watch it in one day and 100% recommend. <laughs> Inspired by real events, too, which is fun. Well, not fun, but intriguing. To be honest, yeah, I don't have uh, anything really to recommend. No real films or TV shows. I guess what I could say in this slot is uh, for fans of Breaking Bad out there, please watch Better Call Saul. Uh, I know the show's final sixth season is uh, filming has now restarted. So hopefully that should be out by the end of the year. It takes every single element of Breaking Bad and improves upon it tenfold. It is the best TV show ever. So if you guys haven't watched it, please start catching up on Better Call Saul in preparation for its final season, which I can assure you will be amazing. Right. Well, I think that 
brings us to the end then, I guess. Thank you very much, everyone, for being here. That's Theo Smith, Callum Nelms, and Louise Chase. Talking about WandaVision on the Edge Entertainment Roundtable. Don't know what the next one will be, but maybe see you then. Goodbye. Thank you. Bye. Thank Bye. you so much.